0: Ossert would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and any First Nations people listening today. We also want to acknowledge that these lands have always been places of learning and sharing of information, and that is the essence of this podcast.
1: Welcome to the AusCert Podcast. Share today, save tomorrow. I'm your host, Anthony Caruana, and this month I chat with Shelley Park and Trinity McNichol. We have an amazing conversation about neurodiversity. In the world of cyber, we greatly value diverse thinking, but it can be challenging to work with others that experience the world in ways that differ from our own. Shelley and Trinity share their experiences and give us some advice on how to work with people who see the world and feel the world differently to how the rest of us might. Then it's over to my co-host, Beck, who chats with Cert's Mark Carrie smith about what's happening at OzCert with news on next year's conference and some exciting new training that's coming up. Today, I'm joined by Shelley Mills and Trinity McNichol. How are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. It's good. So maybe I'll start with Trinity. Do you want to tell us where you're from and what it is that you do?
2: okay so i am very recently i started as the senior lead of um, privacy and information management at the university of the sunshine coast uh previously was working at uq with shelley before that so that's our background um,
3: and shelley what about you oh it's uh constantly changing so i work <laughs> at the university of queensland too trinity and i job hop so <laughs> i was the team leader for data strategy and governance and then when i moved to cybersecurity she took over my role. She's left, so I've jumped back in to fill that. (laughs) A bit of everything. And then I am also on the board of directors for the Australian Information Security Association.
1: Oh, awesome. Great. So we're going to talk a bit about neurodiversity. And this is, I know, this is a topic that a lot of people in the industry are super, super interested in. But I want to ask you the first question is, what is neurodiversity? Because we hear the term, but I think it's sometimes like a lot of terms, people throw it around and don't really know what it really means. So when we talk about neurodiversity, what are we talking about?
2: So really, I guess at its core, it's about being wired a different way. So, you know, typically we think of things like autism or ADHD, but it's a lot more than that. So there are different diagnoses. There's a lot of diversity into how that's How it all presents, so lots of different traits and so forth that come into it as well. So neurodiversity is really that broader spectrum term that we use over the whole lot.
1: But like, aren't we all differently wired? Like, what's the is there a threshold where we say someone is? And I hate using labels because, but is there a threshold where we say someone is neurodiverse versus quirky? (laughs)
2: Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. You know,
1: we work in cyber.
2: Yeah. There's a quirky quirkies around us. (laughs) Okay.
1: Like what's what are the sort of things that really but tell us what that means.
2: Yeah. So look, a lot of the diagnoses that we do have that fit into that neurodiverse label box, if you want to say, they do have very specified criteria when it comes to getting diagnosed for those things. So there is a thing called the DSM-5, and that is actually what's used to set that criteria for if you've got an autism diagnosis or an ADHD diagnosis or you know even things like dyslexia and so forth. So I guess it's more about having those recognized diagnoses, although... The community itself is a little bit broader than that because we do recognize there's quite a lot of barriers also in place to getting a diagnosis. And some people, for various reasons, don't want to go down the path. Hmm. So if there's kind of enough, if the shoe fits, so to speak, a lot of people may kind of
3: identify with that label, even if they don't have a formal diagnosis. It's expensive to get a diagnosis, too. Absolutely. I am pretty certain I've got ADHD, but (laughs) I'm functioning... Find my job. So <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to pay all that money. Yeah.
1: Well, and it's really interesting. A, a good friend of mine who doesn't work in cyber but works in an allied kind of environment just got a diagnosis in the last few weeks that he is officially diagnosed with ADHD and he's 50. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, He's just turned 50. And he said it was actually liberating 100%. to get that and to actually have it acknowledged and now treated. Yeah. Um, yep. Because he said it was leading to a whole bunch of quite challenging behaviours for him professionally but like it's a big thing absolutely uh, but like what are you guys seeing you know when you talk to people in industry are you kind of saying that looks like a there's someone out there that's got a thing that maybe does need to be looked at or understood better and but it's just being missed and they're being sidelined in careers or you know mm-hmm. is it
2: I think there can be a little bit of that. I guess I have, as someone who does have autism spectrum disorder and ADHD, I guess I kind of come on at it from a bit of a different angle. So like your friend, I was diagnosed quite late in life. I've only had um, formal diagnosis a couple of years now. And I did have certain struggles and hurdles in my past associated with particularly things around career progression, certain little nuances on communication type things, you know, I was someone who, I guess if you want to go for functioning labels, I'm not a huge fan. I would have been put into the high functioning kind of category. So most of the time I skated by okay, but I did have a few little things that held me back now as a manager and with the shoe on the other foot, I am really looking for, you know, people in my team who perhaps aren't performing where we'd like to see them, but looking at reasons why without looking at labels. So I'm very big on that inclusivity piece. So people don't necessarily need to have the labels to have some of those quirks, some of those traits that might be getting in their way. And we really need to look at how we can support those people to bring out the best in them for their sake, as well as for our workplaces and our organisational objectives.
1: And it's funny, you know, I was thinking back to it in, in a past life and I was not, I was the IT director at an organisation mm-hmm. and I had a very young employee who was someone's son who I kind of had to employ Mm -hmm. we've all been there (laughs) but he had he was somewhere on that spectrum of neurodiversity Mm -hmm. and it was quite challenging to get things done like you know it was one of those things and I sat there and said I actually rang his mum yep (laughs) And said, Can you help me out here? Yeah. Because I can't, like, I and, he, and she said that the easiest thing was, and he said, She said, that the way he functioned was he took in all the sensory input that was around him and he didn't have a good filter for it, which I know is something that, you know, is quite, is, it's actually more common than we think. Absolutely. And she said, If you want to get him to do something, you have to use his name at the start of the sentence. So you can't just go, Oh, by the way, can you? Yeah. You have to actually say, Hey, and I won't use the real name, but I say, Hey, yeah. David, can you? And yeah. it was, that was, the, the thing and it was actually that's part of the challenge isn't it is as managers and as leaders we're often impatient or yep. feel like we can't we haven't got time to learn everyone's quirks and diverse and those diverse things they need is that I, like a thing that's going well on? i
3: think it's also the opposite too is so for example david equipping him so he knows that this is how I work and then he can take that to his next employer. So I've got you know, a wonderful neurodiverse team at the moment and I'm really taking that time to get to know them and I've been really blessed that they've taken me on that journey as well to help me better understand them and through that I've been able to better understand how they can work best, how to utilize their strengths and one of them actually said to me like, you know, I don't quite understand how to advocate in this aspect for myself. So if you can tell me, let me know. <laughs> yeah. You know.
1: So is and that think, the thing that you guys actually help people with? It's actually because obviously I don't know if you, I'm not sure if you're clinicians by trade or by practice. No, no. no. we
2: both work in the sector. No. So, okay, so yeah. you're
1: not yeah. clinicians, so no. you can't really diagnose and no. say to someone, "I think you've got this thing or whatever yeah. it is."
3: Yeah, be but well, it would be stepping away. Yeah, well
1: way over steep. your boundary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, look, I I think that really comes back to kind of what Shelley was touching on there. It's about the conversation. So it's about, you know, regardless of what the label might be, having that conversation of how can I help you? Or I've noticed that you're struggling with this certain thing. How can I help you? Is there a certain way that we need to communicate this thing across? So like in the situation with the so-called David, you know, yes, you got that information from his mother, but if he'd been able to have that conversation with you directly if he'd had enough self-awareness as well so Uh. it does go a little bit both ways but like Mm. Shelly said you know like if if David had learnt from that situation, hey, this is how I work, he can take it on in future employment opportunities down the track as
3: and well. And that's something Trinity is really good at too. She's able to advocate for her needs. She knows in what circumstances she is going to produce her best work. And I think that's a maturity thing too, to able to say, this is the environment where you are going to get the best out of me. Absolutely. So um, how
1: do you equip, like, I mean, I'm going to imagine, like imagining the people that are listening to this podcast. There's going to yep. be a lot of people who are in the cybersecurity industry. Yep. And it is an industry that I think it actually really relishes having the different thinking. Absolutely. It's something that and it actually really needs that diverse thinking that's out there. But they are going to be people that go like, I'm really good at the thing that I do, whether it's being an analyst or whether it's threat hunting or whatever. Mm-hmm. But they find that their interactions in other contexts are far more challenging. Yeah. What sorts of things do you would you encourage them to kind of do? Because I imagine advocating, advocating for yourself's not, it's, it's much easier said than done.
2: It's hard. Yeah, yeah, 100%. As Shelley said, you know, there is a bit of a maturity piece in that. I'm very fortunate. I had a lot of people supporting me personally and professionally earlier on in my career and my past career. And I learned to do a lot more of that. I learned to have some of that self-awareness and reflective behavior to kind of look at, well, what happened in that situation and how could I make that better in the future? You know, dare I say it, fit therapy helps too because hmm. you understand Absolutely. how your own brain works. And that's really key information to understand how to put your best foot forward and then empower you to have those conversations with your manager. You know, the term reasonable adjustments gets thrown around anytime we're kind of delving into this general space. But when the reasonable adjustments are as simple as, like your example with David, you know, just say his name before you say the instruction. You know, that's not a big deal. No. It's really simple to do, and
1: it's probably also just polite. Yeah, to, but, <laughs> yeah. You know, There's a whole <laughs> exactly. thing of like, there's you know, we've got to get past that "hey you" yeah. kind of moment and just exactly. actually use a name. And that's really interesting because when you talk about that, you know, those practical changes that are actually they're they're very low impact and they really they require about you know a poofteenth of time before of thoughtfulness. <laughs> you know, there's no yeah. you don't have to think to kind of use someone's name in a conversation. Conversation or, or yeah. as a manager in a, giving your direction or something but I mean there must be other challenges that are out there like you know I imagine in some workplaces just you know kind of you know pale male and stale and you know yep. very linear in the way they do things and we have done this for the last 10 years and by golly we're going to do it for another 50 yep. you know we're not going to change you know how do you there must be challenges around that in getting i think people to we change.
3: need to forge a positive change and leave them behind you yeah 100
2: percent. i'm yeah. on board with shelly so i'm a big advocate for inclusive cultures in workplaces i think that's really essential to getting the best out of anyone because it doesn't matter really at the end of the day what your reason for mm-hmm. diversity is if you can't be yourself and bring your full self to work, you can't, You also can't bring your full potential and that won't deliver the value that you're there to deliver to the organisation if you're only 50%, 60%, 70% there because you've got to guard that other part.
1: So, I mean... If we kind of, let's, i'm just trying to think of like an employee pathway yeah right? so the first step is a job ad yep typically well that's a first step unless you're in the you know i know someone who knows <laughs> yeah someone exactly kind the of tap
3: on the cyber, cyber. security
1: yeah and in cyber <laughs> let's face it cyber in australia it's a pretty close shop and you guys yeah. have illustrated that by swapping each other's jobs a couple of times. <laughs> but yeah it really is if that first step is the job ad for example yeah. you know What's something practical someone could do in a job ad, for example, to ensure that they're getting at least a starting pool of people who are different and diverse?
2: So something I really look for when I have looked at jobs that are advertised, obviously I've been through a recent change, so this is very near and dear to me. I look for organisations that do value equity, diversity and inclusion. That is a huge thing for me. And I won't just look at the job ad with that i will look at whatever the organization's website is information that they may have around the careers how they do business that sort of thing the kind of language even they use is a trigger for me to go hey they're actually practicing what they Mm. preach and more of us need to do that so we can leave the rest behind you know absolutely so that's something that i am mindful to try and incorporate into Mm. job ads that i now produce as well
1: so can you give me an example of good language, bad language, maybe, you know, hey, you know, I don't want yeah. you to start dropping F-bombs on the podcast. Oh, yeah, we don't no, do no. that here. But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, but yeah. It's a, it, You know, I mean, I know that when I've spoken to mm. people talking about you know, trying to increase the number of women replying to job yeah. ads, and they lay off the war analogies in job <laughs> ads, you know, yeah, you know, the, there is language we can use that can be more inclusive and open, broaden yeah. the spectrum of people that you ask for. So what's some examples?
2: When it comes, so some of it isn't specific. Some of it is very much that very forward, we really value and embrace that equity, diversity, inclusion. And so some of it, like not using gendered language, that actually speaks volumes to the broader diverse community, not just whether we're talking, you know, gender or sexual diversity. So even that is a trigger for me that diversity is accepted in those workplaces. And then if we look for specific things around neurodiversity, having selection criteria and having desired attributes and so forth about the individuals they want that really show, hey, we do value forward thinking. We do value innovation. We do value outside-of-the-box kind of ideas. We value people who ask questions, who want to know the why, who are hungry for that kind of tell-me-more-about-situation the because a lot of us who are neurodiverse, we do end up going down the rabbit hole. (laughs) So having um, employers who really see those skills and want those skills in their organisations is a massive draw card. But then the flip side of it is understanding that, yeah, some of us do have levels of quirky that do come with it. So
1: So we get past the job ad and we've now got a pool of 50, 100 people and we get into the interview stage Mm -hmm. and we've narrowed it down through whatever process we narrow it down to to get to the, the people we're going to interview. And we're in the interview room. How do we handle an interview with someone who... Potentially is very different thinking to how you are and sees the world through very different lenses, solves problems in very different ways, speaks in a different um, cadence. You know, yep. there would be a whole lot of different, there's, there's a whole lot, dare I say, it, diverse things yep. in there. How do we go that next step? And how do we actually create an interview process that's going to be useful?
2: Look, one thing I'll say is I'm not an expert in this side of things, and there are experts who have put together some really good resources. So this is me purely speaking from my personal experience on this point. One thing that as a neurodiverse individual, I really value when I walk into an interview room is a panel or a person, depending on, you know, the kind of job it is, who takes the time to try and make that a safe and comfortable space so that you can feel like you can be yourself and you can be a little bit relaxed and let the mask drop a little bit because something that we all do a lot of when neurodiverse is masking. So knowing that we can be Ourselves to a certain extent is a really, really nice thing. And that's just really simple of the language and being open in your body language and everything else to say, hey, really glad that you're here, that
3: sort of thing. And speaking of masking, so the majority of my team is neurodiverse. I hired them all. I would have had, like, they all got through my interviews. Like, I had no hint that that was a part of them. When they interviewed, they did great. You know, exactly. You guys are great at masking.
2: A lot of us kind of learn over time particularly those of us who don't get left behind like there are horribly high unemployment rates in the neurodiverse community so that's something that we need to to be cognizant of and those people are the ones who don't make it through the interviews those of us who do have essentially learned to hack the system we've learned how to present as people who are neurotypical and know how to function in that environment but for a lot of us that's taken years of knockbacks years of coaching Public speaking training, all sorts of things. To be I imagine that's a very
1: that's a very energy intensive 100%. thing to go through. Like I can imagine, like I mean, I, I remember what it's like going through um, interview processes in my past. Yep. And a tough interview could be really, really draining. And I imagine a tough interview where there's also a whole other facade being built in front of that must be incredibly challenging to just execute. It which is. makes me think that's the person you want because they yeah. can actually commit. <laughs> But
2: But at the same time, you've got to appreciate that if that is what you're looking for, that person who masks that well to get through that,
3: Mm.
2: how are they going to maintain that once they're in the job? So that's the other thing. And why I say about coming back to that safe space and setting up somewhere that people can be themselves and don't have to mask so heavily if they know that that's the environment they're going to be working in. You know, it's Mm. a two way street. You know, they might be the person that you want, but they also want to work with you.
1: So... We've got through, we've had, the, we've had the job ad and we've had success yeah. and we've blown through the interview and we've created a safe environment in that interview and given the people the opportunity to let down the mask as much as they feel comfortable to let down that mask in that situation. Yeah. And they've been successful and they've got the job. And now we're about creating a safe work environment for them, yep. which is a whole other challenge because all of a sudden it's not a room with one or three people on a panel, but it's a workplace potentially with a hundred colleagues. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah and
1: all you know it's a very it's a much bigger
2: it's a big thing yeah to, to kind of manage
1: <laughs> yeah what are some of the practical things that people can do in their workplaces and also in the way they manage the work not yep. just the physical environment but the the rest of the stuff that has to happen yep. what are some of the practical things that can happen there
2: one thing i want to flag and then i'm going to hand to Shelley to highlight it empathetic and responsive leadership Because you do a good job of it.
3: Oh, thank you. Yeah, (laughs) I think um, it's it's a two-way street. So it comes to the person understanding what they need, but also to the manager being a good leader and taking the time to understand what your team does need as well, understanding what their strengths are Mm -hmm. if they're not performing sitting down and having those conversations we recently had a panel at brissec around neurodiversity and basically yeah how can you be a good leader It's just be a good person like be mm. a kind person you don't have to treat them any differently if you notice someone's struggling you're going to sit down and have a kind supportive conversation to say where are you struggling how can i support you and learn more about them mm. absolutely the other thing I'd
2: say as well is changing culture a little bit. So that person who's sitting there with noise cancelling headphones on is not looked at strangely. It's, it's not. not seen as as you know withdrawn or mm. not being part of the workplace. Um, yeah. When I first started wearing noise cancelling headphones in a shared office space, it was still a little bit, why are you doing that? Whereas mm. thankfully it is becoming much more normal and much more accepted. Yeah. But I just make it known when I yeah. wear them, hey, if you need me, come and grab my attention, let me know, send me a Teams message, whatever, yeah, whatever. it is. Mm. But that helps me from a sensory um, perspective. That's
1: right. And I was going to say, because that's not about you sneakily watching, you know, the uh, the latest episode of whatever shows, you know, got the trend on Netflix in the corner of your screen. That is literally just about blocking extra noise. And I have to say,
3: I have a team member who literally listens to, I think it's podcasts about influencer gossip or something <laughs> while she works and she does a darn amazing job keep listening to those podcasts
2: yeah <laughs> you know, and
3: look sometimes i will literally just turn the
2: headphones on turn the noise cancelling on and not have anything playing. and i was gonna say cause i that's knew some, you would yeah. be doing that i knew yes. she did <laughs> no,
1: yeah. well and, and it's one of those things you know yeah. you know you talk to productivity experts mm-hmm. and often they'll say they just have the same song on repeat all day yep in the background because it's white noise that helps block out the other noise Absolutely. that's going on around them
2: and the other noise isn't necessarily just noise either that's something else that's worth flagging with um, neurodiversity and um sensitivities It can be literally everything you Mm. have the visual disturbances you have the feeling of the air conditioning all the things and it's just overwhelming so if you can block out one of your senses with Mm. either no noise in noise cancelling headphones or like you're saying white noise with a repeated soundtrack or just a white noise soundtrack
1: Mm. it is
2: amazing how much peace that can give you to focus your attention on where it needs to be
1: and that goes that's even things like lighting Yep. You know, I know my, my local supermarket has a couple of hours of every day where they drop the lights and drop That's the music and voice. all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, and it is things like that is just, yep. you know, acknowledge that someone may be different. I mean, That's I so. imagine, you know, the The bane of all office workers, the open plan office must be the worst thing ever invented. Um, And let's face it, that was never about productivity or communication. That was just about being able to fit more people. It's a space
2: space optimization thing. That's
1: it. That has been an amazing discussion. I really, really thank you for that. Um, I'm going to ask you both a question. We're asking everybody on this season of the podcast this same question. It's what do you wish you knew 10 years ago? So maybe I'll pick, I'll go Shelley first
3: all right nothing to do with cyber security just to set up my life start investing (laughs) (laughs)
2: you little investment
3: queen i've in way too late though
1: (laughs) and what about what about for you i
2: would say the one thing that i wish i knew 10 years ago is that careers and dreams and your life is a journey and just live it accept it and take the opportunities as they come up i know it sounds cliche but 10 years ago i was a practicing veterinarian so yeah
1: careers you know what, are a fun journey I, I gotta say i love when people come from really interesting and different backgrounds you know one yeah. of the guys that i was was a physio and now yeah. he's a yeah you know i love hearing those stories where people jump into different things and you know really follow their hearts and follow their minds at Absolutely. that moment amazing yeah. thank you both so much for your time today ladies thanks for having Pleasure. us and now it's over to beck and mark
0: Thank you so much Anthony. Um, a really exciting interview for us this month and um, I can't thank Trinity and Shelley enough for giving their time. They're two people that I'm really grateful to have in my personal network and I love to hear from them. So today I'm joined by the lovely Mark Kerry-Smith again, Principal Analyst of OZ. How are you this afternoon Mark?
4: I'm great, thank you Beck. How are you going?
0: I'm really good I always love this time of the year where we've got this excitement building but also a break over the horizon with Christmas looming so yeah this is a good time of year for, for me one of my faves so I thought I'd, I'd check in with you Mark because I know that you're always you know we have a lot of chats about ways that we can improve and and be more inclusive with people in our workplaces and and I guess offer the best opportunities for the people that we work with so interested in your take on what you got out of um, Shelley and Trinity's interview
4: yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a really good conversation. I mean, that's the great thing about Anthony's interviews is that, is that they really end up being a chat between people. And, and to me, that's the most interesting kind of interviews to listen to. But particularly this interview about neurodiversity was really interesting from a number of perspectives. As you said, we pay attention to diversity and inclusivity in our workplace and we try and champion that wherever we can. Neurodiversity is one of those things that can be, in my very limited understanding, it can be, it's not as obvious in some cases when compared to other elements of diversity. So it's good to think about all the different ways that we can have diversity and what the potential benefits can be in that space.
0: I think it's it's such an interesting one because quite often, you know, unless people are really open and sharing with their experiences and conditions then we have no idea in, in some situations so there has to be a lot of allowance I guess to, to make sure that we're not excluding someone accidentally there.
4: Yes yeah, exactly and something that Trinity said along those lines really resonated with me when they said regardless of what the label might be for a person it's about having the conversation about how can I help you I've noticed that you're struggling with this certain thing Is there a way we need to communicate that best works for you? So while I think there are definitely elements of self-awareness and self-advocacy for people to be able to communicate with their manager and their peers about what they need to succeed, there's also a significant onus on managers and peers to have a quiet conversation with somebody, not just people that have a formal neurodiverse diagnosis, but anybody about what ways of working and communicating works for them and ultimately this just comes down to empathy something that we've talked about before on the podcast so just understanding that diversity is more than just the things we can notice about someone's appearance or accent but also about their behavior and their ways of thinking feeling and being if we're empathetic about as much as possible then we're going to cover these sorts of things by default without having without anybody having to disclose what their situation is, whatever that situation is, whether it's a temporary thing or a permanent thing, that you know, people can have different needs at different times, and if we don't that's ask, good. we're not going to know.
0: Yeah, I I really like that, and I think to an extent that just gets the best out of anybody, no matter what their their needs are, because if you're customising to what works well for them, and you both benefit from that, then you can't lose, really.
4: Yeah, that's right, and and one of the things that I've found really interesting about preparing for this chat was that in listening to the interview it prompted me to go back and watch the conference presentation on YouTube because we have all the conference presentations on YouTube and I unfortunately wasn't able to make it live to this particular one so watching the video was really great because it gave me additional information that I didn't know and didn't get in the interview. So some things like how people perform masking to conceal their difficulties, often out of a fear of persecution or stigma from their peers. It can be conscious or subconscious, and it can be extremely exhausting in some people, and I just had no idea about that. Yeah. And another interesting thing that, that was mentioned in the conference preso was stimming, which is, from what I understand, ways it's practiced to reduce stress or anxiety and can be used to address both sensitivity as well as hypersensitivity and expresses itself in different ways, such as spinning tactile objects, tapping fingers, rocking on a chair or clicking a pen. So we all use stimming from time to time, whether that's yeah. pacing when we're thinking through a difficult problem or jiggling our legs when we're nervous. We all do that. But you know, I have to put pen right at... away
0: from me every time we're recording because otherwise <laughs> I play with it and click the pen. I do the same thing myself.
4: <laughs> yeah, so... I think having that having those little aha moments to go, oh yeah, I do that. I do self soothing behaviours from time to time and I was never sometimes I'm not aware of it at all. And sometimes I am aware of it, but not really understanding why it is I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's great. I think that's what I'm also enjoying about our podcast is that you do get these insights, but to find out some more details from some of these people. So having that YouTube video is a great resource to tap into to, to take the the subject a bit broader, which is awesome. All right, let's give our our general auth update because we have got a few things that are happening in the mix. I'd like to start talking about some new training that you're involved in. So it's a bit different to our other course offerings. So it's a a two-hour session aimed at executives. Can you tell me a little bit about it?
4: Yeah, sure. So this is something that has been in the pipeline for some time, but we've known for some time and a number of people have told us as well. We get told a lot
0: what people want
4: us to do. Which is great. I mean, that's why we asked the question and that's why we've, you know, we've been really lucky to have run some member meetups in different parts of Australia this year and we've had a member survey. So we've had lots of opportunities to hear from members about what they need and what they want. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is executive education So executive cyber education. So what we've done, my colleague Alex Webling and I, is that we've designed this course specifically to be short and sharp, to be done in two hours, to provide executives and senior managers with information that they need in order to fulfil their risk management duties as well as to be able to protect themselves and their families as individuals. So we're kind of looking at it from two different perspectives. And, uh, yeah, we're really happy with uh, what we've come up with.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for these. So, if people want more details, they are on the AusCert website under training. But we are kicking off with a pilot session for those that are based in Brisbane. We will run be running that course face to face in a couple of weeks' time, and at a discounted price because we want some great feedback from these people coming. So, it's only two hundred and fifty dollars a session for those in the, in the first pilot session. And um, registrations already coming in. So, hopefully, we get some more people wanting to join us and and give us some more feedback too.
4: Yeah, and it's quite the luxury. As weird as it sounds to be running a course face-to-face, I do a lot of training online via Teams or Zoom or whatever. And that's good. You know, I love training, but there's nothing like doing it in person. And we're so lucky to have the atrium to do it in, UQ's great resource in Queen Street in the city. So it's it's, going to be really fun, I think.
0: Yeah, I love it. I was actually in there last week for our data governance training that we ran face-to-face. And I really enjoyed it just being amongst other real people, the group activities, sitting face-to-face, there's some real benefits. Obviously, it doesn't work in all situations. There's always a trade-off, but I'm with you. I've really missed some of that face-to-face goodness that we've been missing the last couple of years.
4: Yeah, totally. And that's also why, you know, we've talked about this internally, we want to try and incorporate training opportunities into some of our future member meetups so that when we go to interstate, we can plan way right ahead of time and let people know we're thinking of running these courses at this time is that going to work for you and then hopefully we can get some more face-to-face training done not just in southeast Queensland
0: with the member meetups we've actually got one next week in Melbourne which is really exciting and then two weeks after that in the first week of November we'll be in Canberra so there's still an opportunity for people to to go to our member meetups before the end of this year and then we will be in contact as we're planning next year. Like Mark said, we are hoping to do a few more things as we come to your city next year. So I think there'll be a, a few emails to make sure that we're on the right track with our scheduling and what people would like us to do in their capital city.
4: So for the next couple of events, how do people get info about that, Beck?
0: That's a very good point. Member Slack is where I've been sharing a lot of information, but also if you are in those states, you should have received an email invitation or a number because we're quite good at following up and chasing people to register. But otherwise, just reach out to membership at auscert.org.au and they'll be happy to ship you an invite. Last one is, you know, one of my pet favourites things that I work on for the year, Auscert 2024. We are ready to launch, guys. It's super cool. So the conference website will be launched very shortly and we are doing things just a little bit differently for next year that our call for tutorials will be done first and then call for presentations for the main conference program. So keep an eye out. We'll be in everybody's faces a lot across social media and emails in the next few weeks as we launch that. So kicking off with call for tutorials and then call for presentations will open in November. So I hope everyone has their calendars booked out for the 21st to the 24th of May next year. We're back at the star. So very similar setup to what you've been working with the last few years, so that the change that you've got to be aware of is just that tutorials will happen separately to the presentations. That just helps us to lock them in early and then we can announce them early for you so you can plan your travel and book those tutorials in nice and early with your registrations next year. So believe me, there's a real good reason for why we do everything. We think it through a lot. (laughs) Sponsorship will also open next week. And yeah, I can't wait for everybody. I'm going to still tease the theme a little bit until you see it, because I think it's a bit more fun when you get the whole big reveal. But already I'm just really enjoying the connotations that I get when I look at our graphics and our theme. And I think there'll be a lot of great content that people can um, contribute. It's going to be exciting. Yes.
4: It is exciting and I'm glad you mentioned that so I didn't accidentally <laughs> let it out of the bag. Um, so for anybody that's thinking about that that sort of might have had an idea in their mind for some time that they'd like to run a tutorial at the Osset conference, it, it can be an extremely rewarding experience. So I've run shoots or workshops for quite a few years now, both both before and um, during being an actual Osset staff member and that's a way of connecting with people that you just don't get to the same extent when you do a presentation because there is that little bit of a disconnect between yourself and the audience and it's 30 minutes questions and then it's over. Whereas a shoot, we will do, we can do half day shoots as well as full day shoots and sometimes we even run two day shoots.
0: Yeah, lots so of variety. Yeah.
4: And it can be, we're, we're very flexible in terms of format. So if you have a good idea and you want to explore it, just let us know and we can have a chat with you.
0: Yeah. And any topic as well, that's what I think I really loved about this year's conference is such a great mix of not just technically focused skills but also people skills. And, yeah, so I think there's a lot of great options that, you know, there's really if, you're, if, if you've got ideas and skills that you're willing to share, I think there's other people that want to learn from you. That's the best part.
4: Yep, absolutely.
0: Great. All right. Thank you for joining me, Mark. That's another month wrapped up. Great to see you.
4: My pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Share Today, Save Tomorrow, the AusCert podcast. And thanks to Trinity, Shelley, Beck and Mark. We'll be back next month with the next episode of season three of Share Today, Save Tomorrow with a new guest and a look into the Australian cybersecurity scene. If you want to know more about AusCert, be sure to visit auscert.org.au.